Well, happy Thursday night, everybody, and welcome in another edition of This Week in Hockey, along with the Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario, and I guess a happy early Halloween, Joe. I'm not going to see you on Saturday, buddy. No, no Halloween for me and you, Alex. No, no, I'm doing it. Are you? I ain't seeing you. No, God, no. We get once a week. That's enough. Yeah, once a week. That's enough of you. I know I'll be with the kids and only the kids. You know, I don't know what it's going to look like. This weekend, you know, there's a couple of rumblings in the neighborhood of some really, we have some great streets in Kirkwood around us that do some really great things. But because of the COVID, I think there's going to be definitely kind of dumped down quite a bit. I heard tables on the street, everything's going to be kind of spread out. So I just hope the kids all can get out there and, and get after a little bit. This is the last Halloween as a fatherless man. Is that how you say it? As a fatherless man. Yeah. That's it. I guess that's right. You will only have Halloweens with kids from here on out. See, there's a part of me that's just ecstatic about that because, you know, I I thoroughly, like, I've taken my nieces out on trick-or-treating, and it's fun. I like to see the excitement. Plus, you get to steal some candy. Yeah. The other part of me is not looking forward to that. I, I enjoy Halloween where I don't have to do anything. Oh, come Where on. I just get to sit back. Like, this now, year, my wife and I are just going to put a bonfire on the driveway, yeah. and we're just going to kind of see, because, of course, we moved in June, so we're going to see what our neighborhood has to offer for Halloween. To leave or not to leave? I mean, that's the question for people at Halloween. I mean, some people live in neighborhoods where there's so much traffic, and it's yeah. probably more exciting to stay home. But for me, where the street I live on, there's not a ton of action, so we go out for the action. Where so do you go? We go a couple blocks over in our little Kirkwood little subdivision. There's some, it's it's becoming more and more popular. You'll see when you have your, your daughter and you, you start getting more and more into the, the zone of Halloween with kids. This idea of just going on the streets and trick-or-treating, it's kind of... It's, we're kind of losing that. Yeah. And we're getting back... Not getting back. We're kind of transitioning or pivoting to long streets with lots of neighbors that know each other and then you invite their friends so it's more of a get together with all the people you know trunk or treats are a huge thing now where they open up these school parking lots and everyone brings their car they back it in they open the trunk and your kids just walk around and just trunk or treat right which is kind of a cool concept because at least you're with your buddies because that was always a struggle growing up but uh is your is your wife gonna be anything kind of funny because she's got a belly? I don't think so. I think she's just gonna just I think we're just hanging out at home. We haven't dressed up as a couple in I don't even know how long. Like probably since we were dating. I know, right? We're pretty boring with that. Pretty boring. You could do like a little fake baby coming out of her belly. That's frightening. You know, like with crazy teeth and blood, like you know that's what I mean? just frightening. That'd be kind of cool. Or like a you know normal outfit, like a kangaroo or something like that. When's her due date? March. March eighth. That's cool. Okay, so my daughter, who I just had in March, she's gonna be eight months old, and that's a cool time to have a baby for Halloween yeah. because that's kind of when they're starting. Like my daughter is on the verge of walking; she's crawling really oh, heavily. Okay. Because you don't want a Halloween, I don't think, with like a newborn or like a no, one month. God, yeah. They're like little aliens, Not right? even going to take them out, right? Like, like, what'd you dress your daughter up as? An alien? I'm like, yeah, she's an alien because I didn't get her dressed up in anything <laughs> because you... that's what babies look like. They're like aliens. <laughs> you know, mind your own business. Just bug-eyed aliens. Beat Just it. leave it alone, all right? Yeah. But when they're eight months, like your daughter will be, you know, you yeah. can dress her up and I think I think, I think Birdie's going to be a, a bumblebee. Oh, is she? She's going to be a little bumblebee. What's Joe Vitale and Mrs. Vitale going to be? So I've been, uh, oh my God, I got to show you this picture. So I went to this Halloween competition costume thing. It wasn't a party, so don't 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 come and attack me, people. <laughs> and the masks were on, of and course. The masks were on. So my wife and I, we love 
something you love, which is Disney World. Nice. You love Disney World. Okay, so get this, Alex. My wife and I had this crazy idea that we were going to be something Disney. Now, we weren't going to be characters. We didn't want to be a prince or a princess, been there, done that, Toy Story, whatever, right? We kind of went outside the box a little bit, and I decided to be a Disney Worker. Oh my gosh. I'm showing Alex a picture right now of my costume. The cart. (laughs) He's got the visor, the balloons, the snacks, the Mickey Mouse glove. You look like you were just. You just broke out of Disney World as an employee and took the cart with you. Okay, so you're missing a couple details right there. Yeah, give it to us. Because it's kind of far away. I'm going to zoom in here for you. So I had this awesome cart. Uh, If you notice my name tag on my left pocket, that is an actual Walt Disney World name tag it says scott yeah and it says i'm from lakeview wisconsin i got on ebay is an actual get name out of place. here I swear to god you bought us a, a nameplate from a guy named scott on ebay my wife did it all okay so it's an it's an official walt disney world name tag you got the pins on the lanyard and you notice those little rice krispie treats down there yeah mickey ears I've made Rice Krispie Treat Mickey ears. I got balloons. I got little knick-knack toys. This was the best costume because as we're doing this thing, people So what's the mustache for then? Oh, that's just a creepy thing. Oh, okay. I was going to say, are you trying to be a creepy vendor from Disney World with the mustache? I feel like they're all a little creepy. I mean, they are, but your mustache just screams, hey, buy my Rice Krispie Treats, kids. Okay, I know you love Disney World. My wife and I always have this debate. If If you could have one job when you retire, okay, say you're 60. Yeah. Say you and your lovely bride go down and retire in Florida, and let's say you don't need the money, you just want a part-time job at Disney World, because you and me, we're Disney World uh, enthusiasts, right? right? What job you taking? I got mine. Oh, right. I already know mine. Go. Bellhop on the Tower of Terror Ride. I wow. want to be the guy that pushes the button when you get on the elevator <laughs> and go up. At Hollywood Studios. Yep. I want the costume. I always, that's my favorite ride. I always tell my wife, I love those costumes. I want to be a part of them. My wife and I watch the movie every year, which was a really old school, like yeah. Disney Channel movie. Watch it every year. It's a good movie. That's what I would do. I think I'm going to watch it with my kids. I it's forgot a, about a, that it's movie. It's an awesome movie. Because you always hear about Hocus Pocus. My thing would be the monorail. Really? I'm driving that monorail, and I am dropping people off at the happiest place in the world. I'm going to have my Mickey hand. It's a glorified taxi, though. I'm going to have my coffee. I'm going to tell people to be safe and welcome home. <laughs> and I'm just going to be an old geezer wearing the Disney outfit, and just my, my, my body's going to ooze Disney happiness, and I just want to live there and die there. Again, I have the picture of you with the mustache and just ooze Disney. It just doesn't, doesn't work out really well. Either that... Or I want to be the baker in that little oh, confectionery yeah. place right when you walk yeah, down Main Street. Why didn't we even think of that? That's what you need to be. The cookies. Yeah. The rice, the rice Krispie treats So since we're there. on the topic of Halloween, and we promise, folks, we'll get to we'll get to hockey talk, but this is just more fun now more as we important. approach Halloween. It's more important, too. Yeah, it is more important. I mean, let's be honest here. We're in the off season. Your son has been Elsa the last couple of yes. years, right? Yes. Like he is obsessed with Frozen, which I understand my nieces are obsessed with Frozen. I loved the movie. Has your son... Gotten away from Elsa. Okay, so my third boy, my third child, Bodie, he is now five. When he was around one or two, something happened. We don't even really, we didn't really watch Frozen that much. It wasn't like, you know, some movies growing up, like your kids are obsessed with. Mm -hmm. Like my son loved Big Hero 6. We watched it for two years. Oh, God, yeah. Frozen wasn't even a movie that we watched all that often. It was like on every now and then. My, My daughter, who's nine, asked for it here and there. My son, Bodie, got hooked on the character Elsa. I don't know where he did it. It happened at school one day, maybe, or at the house. But something in his mind just blew up. And he has been obsessed with Queen Elsa for the last four freaking years. So every (laughs) Halloween, 
He's dressing up as Elsa. So the first year is cute. He's two. Three is like, okay, buddy. Four, I'm starting to get a little nervous. Like last year, I'm like, okay, buddy, you're Elsa again. And I love the kid, and I would never discourage it. Right. But he's now he's showing up at school, and all his, his buddies are Michael Jordan and a ninja and, and Halo Man. And he shows up in this blue dress, and, and he loves it. He's not ashamed of it. He's not self-conscious about it. Yeah. So they do this parade around the school, and he's just in his little Elsa. He's got the Elsa braid. He's got the he got the high heels, the clear no. high heels. Swear to God, Is he walking him good. Oh, no, terrible. He's a guy. Yeah, I was gonna He's say clumsy. that's impossible. He's clumsy like me, and the teachers always come up to me. Parents always come up to me like, like, oh my God, I love the fact that you just let him do it. I was like, you know what, gotta let he, him do it. He loves it, and you know, I told my wife a couple months ago. Because this now he's out of this phase, he's he's into different things, but I said, you know what? Looking back on those like four years, where we were kind of frustrated about him and involved with Elsa, and he wouldn't get away from princesses, and we were kind of nervous for for what we don't even know, it's because it doesn't even make sense. And I said, at the end of the day, I was watching Frozen today. I'm like. Elsa kicks ass. Hell yeah, she does. Dude, she's awesome. She's like freezing stuff. Saves the entire world. You know what I mean? Well, I guess her town, right? Yeah, well, Arendelle. Arendelle, thank you. Yeah, so she's she's saving people, and she's got, I mean, she's awesome. Why wouldn't a kid love her? So, but my son uh, officially is starting to pivot to ninjas. Okay. Now, and now his his favorite movie is now Big Hero 6, and he loves Baymax and and Hero, and and Alex, you're going to find out one day, with kids in phases- there's gonna be phases where you're like, oh my god, can we get, just just get this phase moving along? Teething, crawling, uh, princesses, princes, whatever it is. And as soon as it's past Alex, you're gonna be like, oh man, yep. I kind of missed that phase. Papa so enjoy talk. It. Papa talk with Joe Vitale. Yeah, hey, I like that. I like it. Maybe we should do a podcast once the baby that. comes around. You let's and just, I. Let's just do. Well, that. I guess this is a podcast. Let me ask you this: since we're on the Halloween topic, how much are you going to miss these Blues Halloween parties? Oh man, because the, we're not going to get it this year. Those are some of my favorite. I love seeing the costumes. Uh, you know, Ryan O'Reilly and dressing up as David Perron and vice versa last yep. year, and they didn't even know it. Bortuzzo and Fabry dressing up as bunny playmates. Dude, that was great. That was two years ago. But yeah. Robert Bortuzzo probably had the best costume last year, but it was overshadowed by. Number 90 and 57. Yep. He was Freddie Mercury of Queen. And he looked just like oh him. Oh my God. The mustache, the white t shirt, everything. Identical. And he's got that kind of body where it's kind of long and lengthy. He had the white beater, you're right. And he had a kind of like black leather spiky thing on his arm. And <laughs> I tell you what, that was nails. Robert Bortuzzo has always had great Halloween costumes. I played with him in Pittsburgh. He was the Bunnies one year. Um, he's done some absolute, he was Kiss with Paul Martin and I think two other players on our team my second year there. He had the long tongue and the outfits and the spikes. So he went Gene Simmons. Dude, oh, he nice. was insane. Robert Borsuzo lives for Halloween. So, so best teammate costume ever? Or is there somebody who trumps Robert Bortuzzo? You know what? Gee, I, I still always got to go back to Sidney Crosby being Maximus from the Gladiator, you know, and running up and down Carson Street saying, are you not entertained? And having fans yell, shut up, you bum! <laughs> you know, and literally they know they're yelling at the they're yelling at the Sydney Crosby, the franchise guy and the king of the city, but that was always fun. That's incredible. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Plenty of hockey talk to get into, folks. But again, this is just fun. Papa talk with Joe Vitale. That's what we get into. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, let's get into a new date that has surfaced in the NHL of when we could see some play, not in the NHL, but in another league that could affect the NHL. I know I said NHL a lot. I know it's confusing. Stick around. We'll discuss in four minutes here on 101 ESPN. 
Back in here on a Thursday night. Welcome in, everyone. Of course, it is This Week in Hockey along with the Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. And Joe, I teased it a little bit going into the break, but we now have at least a date to look at for the AHL, of course, the American Hockey League, which Pierre Lebrun reporting yesterday that the AHL is targeting February 5th as a start date for the minors in the NHL. Now, I'm curious, and this might be pure speculation, this might just be my observation, but I would imagine if the AHL date is set for February 5th, the NHL at least has some belief that fans will be in the stands around that time, which in my eyes would mean the NHL is going to be targeting around that date as well. Yeah, I would imagine so, Alex. You know, these are all kind of domino effects um, situations and scenarios. You know, usually it's it's the other way around, which is kind of makes this situation a little bit different. I think a lot of people were expecting the NHL to come out and make this February 5th date, for example, uh, known in public. And then, of course, when the NHL does that, then the AHL can follow suit. Then the East Coast Hockey League can follow suit. And then you see the OHL. And then you know, all these colleges kind of, will kind of domino effect from there. So you're expected to see it from the very top through the bottom. I'm not sure if it was through uh, impatience of these minor league teams uh, or whatnot, but I mean, you gotta, you gotta look at the HL, you gotta look at the OHL. These guys have been out since March, you know, with a February start date, it's almost a full year, you know? So meanwhile, the, right. the NHL is going on, they have this bubble, they, they award a Stanley cup champion and, and probably the AHL would imagine, I would imagine the owners and, and, and GMs and everyone in the cities are like, Hey, like, what about us? Like, hello, we're, we're still down here. Like, we're still relevant. And we still, you know, we still want to get going. So whether whether they were in, a little impatient about this, uh, which I could definitely see, and they said, you know, the NHL is going to keep dragging their feet with this for, for, for good reason. I'm not saying it's for bad reason, but they are doing that. That's a fact. The, the, OH, the AHL, excuse me, and the OHL up in, up in Canada were probably just like, you know what, heck with it. We're just going to make a start date, and maybe they're going to follow our suit and put a little pressure on their heels. But, you know, I've read a couple reports about this. I think it's a great thing for hockey. I think it's at least throwing some dates out there, as we mentioned yesterday. Alex is going to be good. I don't know about you, but I, I think the biggest key to all this from, from the people I've gathered and talked to, Alex, is going to be uh, more important than a vaccine or, like, uh, herd immunity. It, it's going to be this this new idea of these rapid tests, yeah. which I know are becoming very, very popular uh, my neighbor actually went to the Kansas City Chiefs game a few weeks ago in Kansas City. I uh, forget the exact details, but fe- they FedExed him a test the day before the game, I think on Saturday night, maybe it was Friday evening, and then he took it, he FedExed it right back, and then within a day, he knew he was a negative. So, of course, he made the travel and he went to the game. You know, maybe if, if by February we could have that or even something even quicker, you know, I think personally uh, to get fans in these buildings, people just want to make sure that everyone around them is safe. And to me, the only way you could really do that in, in a fashion, Alex, that, that makes sense uh, and, and is practical is if they really kind of pick up this this idea of get these rapid tests for people so we can all enjoy some hockey. Yeah, I've had the rapid test done too, Joe. And of course, you know, everyone's still concerned once that happens, if it's the positive or, or, or a false positive or if it's a false negative. But look, I mean, the rapid tests are key uh, and huge for this as well. And I think the other one is the, 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 the amount of people that can be in the building, the capacity, because we've seen some buildings in the NFL go with half capacity Uh, We've seen Major League Baseball go with half capacity, of course, in the postseason games. Some NFL teams are talking about upping that capacity moving forward. But the difference with all of that and the NHL is, Joe, 
is it's an indoor stadium. And mm-hmm. I, I'm curious of what the NHL views that as because spreading people out is is safer, yes. Going with a half capacity or maybe 10 20% capacity, you're bringing in some salary, and of course you're being safe with it. But with the indoor stadium, is that a, a, a chance that the NHL is going to be taking when they do that? And is it a chance for the, the fans that are doing it as well? You know, it's 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 gonna be tough. You know, I think that I think that it is realistic that if we see hockey in buildings this year, which I which I, I do believe it will. Yeah, I think that fans just need to have the expectation um, that it will look very different. And, and the biggest reason why is you're gonna be sitting there watching the game with the kids, and you're gonna have a mask on the entire time. Yeah. I don't think there will be any situations where you know you go to these restaurants, Alex. Have you been there a few? Where you walk in with the mask. You sit down, you take it off. You have to go to the bathroom, put your mask on, you get back down, you sit down at a table, you have a drink, you take the mask off. I think it's going to be you take a sip of soda or a beer at the game, you remove it quickly, and you put it right back on. You know, I was talking uh, to uh, Kyle Warman, who is a uh, who does a terrific job down at the Enterprise Center. He's he's the man. He, he's the guy that kind of puts it all together for concerts and games. He's been working since uh, March about different details about how to make this place safe. They're actually creating these seat covers where it's not necessarily plexiglass between seats. It's like these plastic covers that go over the seat so it prevents people from sitting down. So, you know, having those kind of things set up, lots of sanitizing stations, um, maybe maybe concessions look different. You know, maybe concessions look different where you're not going out to the concourse and, and you're getting foods and drinks and all that kind of crazy stuff. Maybe it's something that they organize it where it's brought to you. So it kind of limits limits those big crowds. It can be done. You know what I mean, and and I think that I think hockey wants to see it done. And even if it's at a even if it's at a the cost of a full season, which at this point, Alex, I I don't believe we're looking at 82 games. I don't know your thoughts on it, but you go back to 2013, the lockout that I was a part of as a player. You know, we we didn't start playing games until I think it was January 19th. Okay, January 19th of 2013 was the first game I think we played. We went to Philly, and we played a 48 game uh it was a 48 regular uh, regular games that season so 48 in comparison to a full 82 games okay and that's starting in january 19th okay uh especially now with um with the olympics this summer the the, the hockey is going to be pushed to to an area where where they cannot really go past a certain date um this is going to be uh, i think i think it was early july or maybe late late june when when the, the chicago blackhawks won the cup that year too so you're looking at it right around the same time so with a January 19 date, and we had 48 games, if you're looking at the, the NHL start in February 1, maybe just 10 days longer or shorter than that, I mean, can we really expect anything more than 50 or 60 games at this point? No, I, I don't think so. I think you're looking at 60, maybe if you're lucky, 65 games. Because the only caveat with that, Joe, is I know Gary Bettman and the NHL want to get as many games in as possible because of course if you're not getting 82 in and if you're not having people in the seats you got to make sure that you're coming through with those tv contracts and making sure you're making up that money but uh, there's no physical way that you could do anything more than 60 to 65 games because honestly to tie this back into the ahl setting the date joe the NHL is going to be playing an AHL schedule. And I know you remember that because I talked with Jamie Rivers about it as well, where you're playing four games in five nights, you know, five games in seven nights, or you're playing three games in a night, and then you're turning it around and you're doing a day game on that fourth day. There's going to be a lot of back-to-backs. There's going to be a lot of games kind of jumbled together because the NHL has to get all of this done by June 30th. Yeah, you know, you're right. And I think that 
for a lot of players who've been down in the minors, like Sammy Blaze and, and the Jordan Kairos and the Mackenzie McEachrins, it's probably going to look very familiar. I think for some players like Ryan O'Reilly, who have not played the minors <laughs> for a very long time, if ever, if I, I got those on my the stats on that one. But for those kind of players, it, it is going to look very different, you know. But in, in some ways, in some ways, if if you shorten the season, uh, like in American Hockey League, you know, you're you're still you're still traveling well, you're still doing all the good things, you're staying in hotels. So I'm not going to necessarily compare it right to the American League, maybe schedule wise a little bit. Yeah. But but the thing to really keep in mind is, you know, the the, the travel itself could not be nearly as bad. So yes, you're playing more games, Alex, but really, really the, for fans out there, the thing to really keep a focus on is not necessarily how many games you play. Cause you know, the players don't care about that. The players want to play games. Like I, I know it sounds a little cliche. Well, of course they want to play games. You know, some, some players, they get exhausted from playing, but the hockey guys, they want to play games. and They don't want to practice that. That's just the reality. If you ask any hockey player, you could play four games in a week or two. They would take the four. They hate the breaks. Look what happened to the Blues in Edmonton. Yeah. They play a game, off for five days, play a game, off for four days. It drove them absolutely crazy. They want to play games. They would love to play four games a week. They would love to have three games in four nights. Uh, so that's not the problem. The problem arises, and the players get a little bit snippy, when it's really bad travel. That's the key, travel. And I know with um, with the, within the past, if you go to Vancouver and then Edmonton, and then you're flying to Anaheim, and then you have one more stop in Vegas before you head home, like – the travel is what gets you. So, so keep this in mind as we move forward with this. I know a lot of these um, divisions uh, chit chats been going around. We talked about it last week on our show, but keep an eye on these this divisional format the way they have this going on. I know it's very tentative, and it's uh, is there any is there any um, legitimacy to them? We're, we're going to find out. But this whole thing where Canadians won, every every team in Canada's one division, and then you have all the West teams, the Californians, Vegas, Colorado, Minnesota that somehow lumped in that as well is one st louis would join the south kind of east central with chicago columbus and the florida teams in carolina uh, and then of course all the east coast would battle it out so you're playing a lot of games you may play carolina back to back and then travel to florida and play them on, on a sunday and a tuesday and then go to tampa yeah it's a lot of games but but the travel isn't so bad you know so i think that that's where uh, the league is going to sit down with these players and the players association and say listen boys we're playing a lot of games here. Yes, this looks like an American League schedule. Yes, we're going to have some um, situations where you're playing a lot of back-to-backs and three games in four nights. And and I know that in the past we're not, we weren't supposed to do that, but this is how it's going to be. But travel is going to be good. We're going to get you guys set up in really nice hotels. The accommodations are going to be nice. And you hope that you, that's a little bit of leverage that the league's going to have when they go to the negotiation table with these players moving forward for hopefully a February start. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all, and I want to get into that in just a bit as well. But a way to get that once you go into the season, Joe might be adding a couple of more weapons. The Blues have an opportunity to do that with some players that are still available via free agency. We'll get into that next here on This Week in Hockey. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Thursday night, Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you. Of course, this week in hockey, we come your way every week. Tonight, we're leading you up to Thursday night football, which you can hear here on 101 ESPN. A little after 7 o'clock is kickoff. Joe, the more I go through this offseason, the more I understand how it sucks to be a free agent right now. 
and you've gone through this. You know what this life is like as a free agent, waiting around for your phone to call. The only difference is now you're in a pandemic. And I got to be honest with you, man. I'm surprised at some of the names that are still on the market, like uh, like a Mike Hoffman or a Anthony Duclair or an Ilya Kovalchuk, who had some success towards the end of last season. I, I mean, these guys must be sitting there wondering what the hell is going on right now. You know, maybe or may, maybe they have it just, uh, strategically planned through the agent that this is this is the way it goes. Because you know, when free agency opened up, a lot of names went off the off the ballot right away, and we we saw this coming because with the calorie, with the salary cap staying the same as we know, Alex, a lot of players were not going to get in a negotiation with GMs. They're like, you know what, it's a little bit of a low ball, but I'm going to take anything. I think agents message the players this year. Whatever comes across that table, we're, we're going to pretty much take it. We're not going to get in a big back and forth because, first of all, the GMs don't have time for it because there's so much just uncertainty still going on. So if there's money on the table, take it. So a lot of players were taken right away. It was a very active first day of free agency. You know, aside from Alex Petrangelo, most of the big names did go off the table pretty pretty quickly. So I think now you're looking at the situation where if you're, let's just say Mike Hoffman, for example, is agent. You know, he's saying, you know, let these big dogs go for a little bit. Let 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 the kind of let the fire happen, and then once the smoke settles, these GMs are going to sit back. The, after the rat race of the Tory Crews going to St. Louis and the Petrangelo's going to Vegas, and you know, and then you got um, uh, what's his face over there, Tory, uh, Taylor Hall going yeah. to Buffalo. Once those all those big names, then then every GM's going to say, okay, what do we have now? Okay, and then you're going to be the guy. Now you're the Alex Petrangelo. Now you're the big guy. Uh, on campus now everyone's going to try to find you assuming they have calories uh, salary cap space for it and some teams still do so mike hoffman is the guy now it's not taylor hall it's not alex petrangelo he is the guy so a lot of a lot of agents will do this strategically and in some ways it really could pay off i think for mike hoffman he actually could get more money now than what he was probably offered in the first week of free agency when it opened up on that friday uh, you look at a team like nashville predators you know they they, they freed up nick Benino, they traded him i mean they got rid of some other you know my uh, uh, then granland got released uh, craig smith uh not released but granland and smith both left for free agency and then you look at um they free up the big kyle turris contract which was insane i can't imagine going to the owner and saying you got to get to buy this guy out with how many years and how much money you still have to pay him but they did free that up so that's kind of typically uh, or for the most part off the books so they do have money now to spend it, to me it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me for my Hoffman, who loved Florida, loved the weather, loved the setup, loved the lifestyle, um, to land with the Nashville Predators. I, I don't know if the Blues can afford it, which is a shame because the Blues right now need goals. And when you have a Mike Hoffman, you know you're going to add at least 25 or 30 goals right away. Like literally, just just make make a note: he will score 30 goals. Yeah, he's not going to carry a line, but he's going to score a lot of goals. The interesting one for me, Alex, which I think we brought up two weeks ago, is is going to be my boy, my, my, my good buddy from Arizona, Anthony Duclair, who was in St. Louis for the All-Star game. So he's plenty familiar with St. Louis. Uh, he's a, a kid that two years ago, I think you people were saying you may, he may be in the minors in two years. Like right. he was just that hot and cold. He jumped from Chicago to Ottawa to Arizona, started in New York. I mean, he has played for like, I think a different team every year of his career, and he's only been in the league for five years or something like that. So you're starting to think, is there a problem with him? I'm telling you right now, he's a terrific kid. He's a hard worker. He's got a little, you know, young millennial personality too much. I think rubs GMs wrong, um, but he's a good hockey player. You know, he, he can easily put up 20 goals for you this year. And and right now, the Blues do need goals. I mean, you look at Vladimir Tarasenko being out. So to add an answer to Claire, if you can get him for a nice budget, maybe he wants to take a team-friendly deal to kind of bet on himself to set him up for a bigger contract down the road. If you can get him something like that, I think that can be a great fit for him here, especially 
especially on the power play. That's where they think the Blues need a lot of help. So, Let me ask you this then, Joe, because do you feel like he makes a good match with this team via the roster, but also with Doug Armstrong? And nothing against Doug Armstrong, but we have seen, of course, his negotiation tactics of how hard he is to negotiate what with you, we went through with Alex Petrangelo. And then with an Anthony Duclair, who is basically – He's managing himself. He's his own agent because it's come out that he feels like he's worth more money than what the Ottawa Senators offered him. Do you feel like that negotiation might be able to be done with Doug Armstrong and Anthony Duclair? You know, I think that I think that it really falls on the player and how much he wants to be there. You know what I mean? And and this is where I think it could work. Yes, I think that. Yes, I think Doug is a great negotiator. I think would he rather work with an agent? Absolutely. I think this makes. Anthony Duclair's case a little bit sticky and this is what I was talking about when he's got kind of a a little bit of a millennial kind of edgier younger flashy personality where he would go off and do something like this but I think that when it comes down to the player and if he wants to be on a team I think that he will make it work I think it's really just about the team and you look at some of these personalities you look at some of these characters uh from all over sports Alex I mean think of Randy Moss when he went to the New England yeah. Patriots, and I was like, oh my gosh, he is just going to ruin that team. Like, what, what a terrible move. But Randy Moss wanted to go, and he wanted to be a, a smaller piece in a bigger a bigger puzzle. You know, he didn't want to be the guy in, in front of the news cameras all the time and, and be known as the guy. He wanted, he wanted to go to something that was bigger and better, and he wanted to win a championship. And I think for Anthony Duclair, I would look at him the exact same way. You know, yes, he, he's kind of got a little bit of this persona, maybe a little bit of reputation. That's why he keeps bouncing around a little bit. But I'm telling you right now, for, for, from a core standpoint, he is a really, really good kid. I really enjoy my time with him, and he can really help the team win. And I think he wants to win. And I think St. Louis, the best thing they got for him right now is the fact that they're going to be contenders again. Yeah. You know, were they before Tory Krug? Maybe. But now that they got Tory Krug, absolutely. They are contenders without question. Players recognize that, and Anthony Duclair recognized that. I mean, Alex, who wouldn't want to be a winner? You know what I mean? So that, that to me, is why he it, it's, it's still a big option here for St. Louis. I love the idea of Anthony Duclair in St. Louis because I feel like he can excel in his area of the game, and I feel like he matches a lot what the Blues have to offer. So let's just say Anthony Duclair and Mike Hoffman aren't options. Let's say that they sign elsewhere, Joe. There's a couple of other names out there that I want to throw your, your way to get your thoughts on because I'm, I'm sure you've played against these guys possibly possibly even with these guys. Um, Eric Howla, who is still out there, I believe last season he played with Florida, if I'm not mistaken, but he was with Vegas for a while, with Minnesota for a while. And then the other one, and don't don't get mad at me, listeners, because I know this name's been tossed around before, but Ilya Kovalchuk, because you need a right wing, you need a guy who scores. I think this is a guy who, yes, he's older, but he's also a guy who showed last season that he could sk- still score goals. And Doug Armstrong will go out there and get a guy who's at the end of his career who can be effective for his team, which I think might be Ilya Kovalchuk. Yeah, you know, Eric Hall is the first one you just mentioned, Alex. You know, that th- this is an interesting kid for me. You know, uh, he started with Minnesota. And then, of course, he wasn't protected in the expansion draft when Vegas came in and, and Vegas grabbed him. And, and he was one of those anomalies, right? He was one of those um, Carlson characters where he goes in to Vegas in his first year and he puts up almost 30 goals. I think he was just shy of 30 goals, which was absolutely insane because he had never touched anything close to that in Minnesota. So I think he got a lot of attention from there. Uh, of course, Vegas moves him on to the South England with the Carolina, then Florida, as you wrapped it up there. Yeah. It's, it's kind of trended down here a little bit. Um, for Eric Holla, but certainly a great left shot who can play in the power play 
And I think that whenever you're looking at St. Louis Blues, you're still looking for ways to score more goals, especially for a lefty, especially um, on the power play. So uh, that that that's a big one for me. The Kovalchuk thing, I mean, gosh, yeah, how is this guy still in the league? You kind of <laughs> think about that quite often. But but you also look at kind of like these Russian connections. I, I know it sounds weird, but the, these, these Russian guys, I mean, you can't tell me that Alex Ovechkin did not have a big part of Ilya Kovalchuk landing uh, in Washington when he did. I mean, these guys, they train together, they hang out together. So I think for Tarasenko and for Ilya Kovalchuk, I'm not sure exactly the extent of their relationship, but I, I could see that conversation happen. I can see in uh, Tarasenko saying, you know, hey, this is a great, great place to live. Uh, your family is going to be taken care of this, that, and the other. You're going to love the coach. You're going to love the team. Um, so I think for the Russians, they come over to America, and there's still a lot of unknowns, right? There's still a lot of – they want to be comfortable. They want to get settled. And to have a buddy like that, like we saw with Ovechkin um, in Washington, I think it really helps push that thing along. I don't think it's a bad call at all. I think he's an incredible power play guy. He's got an absolute weapon still, even at his old age. He can shoot the puck like the wind. And, and I think he can really fit into this culture. You know, a lot of people thought he was kind of that selfish Russian style as well. But what do we see in Washington? Uh, he had great success in Washington from the whole standpoint of playing a team game. I know that they, of course, didn't get to where they wanted to go with it. But I, I do think he's still got some really good hockey left in him. And I think if he's used in the right way, uh, I think he could be an effective power play guy without question here for St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just went and looked at it, Joe. Kovalchuk and Tarasenko played with each other in the KHL for 30 games in 2012-2013 season. Um, and when you look at Kovalchuk's numbers, and again, you understand he's 37 years old, but you're bringing in a guy who in the last 29 games of the season where he played on a team that wasn't the L.A. Kings, Montreal, Washington, he had seven Seven goals and 10 assists in 29 games. So he's a guy who can still score. The only the only caveat to this for me, Joe, is you don't want to take away ice time from a Jordan Cairo or a Zach Sanford or a Sammy Blay because, of course, those are the future and those are the guys you want reps so that they're ready to go. But I think Kovalchuk gives you a little protection in case somebody gets hurt or isn't living up to the expectations. It's a guy who could play top six role for you until Tarasenko comes back and gives you a threat on that right side. Yeah, you know, I think that you, you brought up Jordan Cairo, and I'm glad you did because, you know, I I don't know how hot the temperature is for Doug Armstrong on some of these younger players, but I would imagine that it, it's getting close. It's getting close. Every every player's got an expiration date, Alex, as we all know, and and I just I'm curious what Doug Armstrong's temperature is about how hot he's getting with a player, uh, let's say like Jordan Cairo, a player that shows a lot of promise, shows a lot of speed, but it, you know, it's, it's kind of there some nights and then, and then it's gone for a couple of games. Um, a player that hasn't earned the trust of the coach yet because of some of the decisions that he's made on the ice. Terrific kid. It's not, it's not a knock on his character because he is a, a terrific kid and he's extremely talented, but he hasn't found an NHL role just yet. Mm -hmm. And so to tie this in with bringing in a veteran, I think that's that, that's a big question, and this is why Doug Armstrong makes good money because you have to look at it like that. You have to look at it like, well, we would love to give more ice time and more responsibility to a Jordan Cairo, but if he continues to do what he's done for the last year and a half to two years, um, are we putting our team behind the eight ball as a team to win and to win a championship? That That's my concern because uh, he has been given a lot of time. He has been given a lot of opportunity um, but we're still kind of he's kind of still flirting in purgatory where we don't really know what he is just yet. So I, I think that especially now is coming season, 
if we're looking at 60 games or 50 games, it's probably going to be closer to high 50s, I think, uh, because of the dates I gave earlier in the show. You know, it, I remember that season in 2013, Alex. Everything was amplified. I mean, you wanted to win every game in regular season, but when you when we had 48 games that year, every game was so important. Every play is even more important because yeah. you don't have the flexibility to lose a bunch here and there. You don't have the flexibility to give a, a rookie or a second-year guy 10 games and see how he does. Well, just free him out. Let, let him we'll see how he does. I'm telling you, things are going to be amplified this year. Things are gonna, the, the heat is going to rise. So I think for Doug, I, I just don't know where he is right now with Jordan Cairo and some of these other young players, these Clem Costins who uh, is going to get even more of an opportunity this year because at some point, the, um, everyone's got an expiration date and you have to start thinking about bringing veterans in guys that can help you right now, because we keep talking about this blues window. Well, like we're, we're losing time on this window and it's not the fault of players or, or GMs, but a pandemic has hit and the blues now can have, we, we, we could look at this thing in July and see the blues lost two years, you know, because they're in first place uh, this past season. Uh, then the bubble happened and the pandemic happened and they, they, they just didn't go well in Edmonton. They could have won this year. So that, that year is done. Let's say that this year doesn't go very well, right? You lose Petrangelo. The, the group takes a while to get going, put your help sell behind the eight ball uh, throughout March. You don't make the playoffs. That's two years. Okay. So it's two years out of a very a value window that could be gone because of the circumstances of the world. So I think Doug is going to be very aggressive. And I, I think he's going to give a little bit of wiggle room to Jordan Cairo and some of these youth, but but you wouldn't be. But don't be surprised by this GM. He is going to go out and he's going to try to make this team effective and a winner right now. And if he's got to push push a couple of the younger guys aside, he'll do that. Yeah. Well, you have to right now, especially when you look at the division, the conference, and the league when it comes to the uh, the matchups that the Blues will have to do to get to the Stanley Cup once again. And we'll talk about that next as we wrap things up here on this week in hockey on 101 ESPN. Final time here tonight on This Week in Hockey, Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario, of course, leading you up to Thursday Night Football. We're with you every week for an hour, 6 to 7 o'clock, usually on Thursday nights, but it moves around a little bit. Joe, I want to get into an article I saw on The Athletic before we wrap up here tonight, and we just were talking about how aggressive Doug Armstrong is going to be because of this Stanley Cup window. And there was an article on The Athletic a couple of days ago. I'm not sure if you saw it, but it was an off-season power ranking uh, from one of the riders, which contenders could challenge the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I was a little surprised by where they had the Blues. So no longer are the Blues a cup favorite or a cup contender in their rankings. The Blues have dropped to being a dark horse. They are the sixth favorite team to being a Stanley Cup champion behind the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Colorado Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Boston Bruins, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, I think, Alex, I saw that article as well. And, you know, you look at the Colorado Avalanche, right? You look at you look at the Vegas Golden Knights. You look at the Boston Bruins. You look at these teams, these high-profile teams, the Tampa Bay Lightning. When they have such talent on their team that even when they decide to get away from a team game, they're still going to win games. So does that make sense? Yeah, like the Tampa Bay Lightning, they don't they don't ooze team play, but they have so much talent and skill, and they can beat you in so many ways that I think they're automatically going to be one of those premier teams. The thing, and this is why I think the Blues should be a dark horse, and I think this is um, the reason why I think the Blues are actually placed exactly where they should be placed, is because the Blues don't stand out as a team that oozes tons and tons of high caliber talent, Ovechkin talent, McDavid talent. 
Um, you know, you look, you look at Vegas' top two lines, and Pacioretty uh, is insane, right? So there's all this crazy scoring and, and uh, proficiency around the league with some of these teams. The Blues will win, and we've seen this in the last two seasons, when they play that team style of grind it out in your face, right? Good point. It's a demanding style, but that's the way they win, okay? So we're thinking, okay, so the Blues can just do that all the time, and they're going to be a, a cup contender. Well, we found out this past year, as soon as the Blues don't play that team game, we they don't have the talent to win, I don't think, necessarily on any given night, like the Tampa Bay Lightning could. Let's take, for example, because their power play is insane. You know, it's that scene uh, from Miracle when Herb Brooks – uh, tells his, his United States team when I think they tied a game to Finland or something. And he's like, you guys are relying on talent alone. And he said, you know, you don't have enough talent to rely on talent alone. Right. And Craig Berube has, he's, he's dropped hints at this too. He said, you know what? He, you know, he's told me on the side, he goes, we're not a very fast team. Like we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to wow you with our speed. We're not going to wow you with our skill or our power play. Uh, some teams do. And that's why they're up there at the top two or three every single year. We're not going to do that. He goes, if we're not playing a team game, we're not going to be successful. So the Blues, I think they kind of showed the hockey world that they are um, invincible um, and then that they can get away from that team game because that's certainly what we saw in Edmonton. So the Blues cannot get back to that style. To me, Alex, I, you know, again, they, they, they could be uh, not even a playoff team next year. So it really is yeah. just about finding that team identity and really getting back to work as a group and as a unit, which is demanding and it is tough. And it's an ever evolution thing, right? You can't keep doing the same thing over and over because teams are going to start figuring it out. Everyone looked at the 2019 Blues team and every GM and coach like this is how we beat it. So Craig Bruby and his staff's got to get together. How are we going to evolve and improve and keep moving forward? But, you know, I, I thought that list was interesting. Did you feel like the Blues should be higher or lower than the spot they were given? I felt like they should be higher than the Boston Bruins, and here's why. And, and a lot of this goes to what you're talking about, though, Joe, because of the star power. David Pasternak, Patrice Bergeron, Tuka Rask. But when you look at the Blues offseason compared to Boston's offseason, that's a dramatic change. And, I mean – Sure, there's still the the team game that you have on that roster, but you just took away two crucial pieces on their defensive side in Zdeno Chara, who could still return, and Tory Krug. And they didn't upgrade anywhere. They didn't upgrade on defense. They brought in a couple of guys on the forward side who could provide some offense. But look, Zdeno Chara is a year older. Tuka Rask is a, is a year older and also didn't play the whole time in the bubble, so he's going to be off for that much longer of a time. I was surprised by Boston and I was surprised by Toronto, to be honest with you, Joe, because again, they didn't upgrade. I know they got out there and they signed uh, the defenseman whose name is escaping me right now. So they got stronger there. They got the same offense. But it's a team that hasn't shown the ability in the postseason in the past, but the Blues have. So in my eyes, I thought the Blues would have at least been fourth or fifth best on that on that list. But again, it goes back to what you're talking about of the the star power. And I think that's why the Blues should be the dark horse. Yeah, you know, I think that it's just they're not as, as sexy of a team as, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Boston Bruins. And it's such a hyped up media driven sport like all sports are. Um, you know, I think I think I think for Toronto's defense, though, and how they did get better, I think that I think that Toronto, you, you add a Joe Thornton, right? You add a Wayne Simmons, you add those kind of veteran, rigid, rugged, veteran, grizzly guys that have been around the league a long time. And geez, they want to win so bad. Like, I don't think there's a, a guy in the league around the world that doesn't want to see Joe Thornton win a cup. Right. So I think you look at the veteran presence of what they were lacking last year. I think they lacked a lot about that. I think they I think they were hurting when they lost Patrick Marlowe. 
when he went to Pittsburgh because I think for a while the Toronto was so successful because they had that. Now Marlowe's going to San Jose and they try to bring in the next best thing, which I think is going to be Joe Thornton. So I think I do think Toronto did get better. And I think that's this Boston, yes, you lose Krug, but I think when you have such a power line of the Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak line, I mean, that, that to me is, is such a core of your team. And when you're still going to get great goaltending, it's going to be important. So I, I think the Blues kind of fell right where they want. I think the Blues, for, for an outsider's perspective, I would look at the St. Louis Blues as everyone's thinking, Alex, to me, was this team a one-and-done team? Like right now, right now they're a one-and-done team. You know, you say what you want. Yeah, they've made the playoffs here and there, but they haven't had a ton of success. Right. But I, I think that you look at the cup they won, and then that follow-up year was going to be so important. That's why all the hype and all the energy coming into 2020 was, can they repeat? Can they be this team again? And they, and they, they proved for the regular season they were. But then they took a huge step back in the playoffs. So now every team's back to, okay, was, was 2019 just a magical year? Hmm. Did the magic and the luck and the timing just come together for this team? Um, you know, so they backed it up a little bit there to follow the year, but now I think even this coming year is going to be even more important because the blues, the last thing you want to see the blues do is be kind of a one and done kind of team. And you want to go out there and you want to see this window really expand and open up and hopefully be competitive and hopefully get to a couple more cup finals or some conference finals, maybe win another cup in the next four to five years. Uh, but I think they have a lot of proving to do, which I think is a good thing. I think that any player, any team look, would look at a list like that. If I was a coach, I would put that right on the board and say, this is what we are. And I don't think they're wrong. You know, I think this is where we're at. We're going to be the underdog. Just like we were the underdog in 2019. I think teams, this team specifically thrives on being the underdog and being the team that everyone's kind of forgotten about. Because then you kind of slide in there, you take care of yourself, and you do what you can do, just like you did back in 2019. So I thought, I thought it was a pretty fair assessment. Um, given all the teams throughout the league, especially where they're at right now. It's interesting, too, with the underdog, and this is my final thought, Joe, and I'll let you th- uh, give me your thoughts on it as well, but y- you're the sixth team overall, at least in this power ranking, which, which, as we both have said, it's right around that area, but you're the third best team in the Western Conference, second best team in your division. Of course, you got Colorado and Vegas, but then the Blues, and that, to me is a positive for this team because you know the central division isn't going to be easy to get into the postseason but to be the third best in the west that gives you some leverage in terms of pushing for a cup run once again it's once you get into the postseason where you have to prove yourself you know you're right and i think that i think that has a lot to do with it you know i think actually i i want to look at the numbers again and kind of see the talent as it spread out i think the central did get a little bit worse but not by much. It's still a powerful division. But that also comes down to, you know, where where this where this divisional play kind of pans out. I mean, it, it, it's interesting this year because um, you bring up the divisions. But if if this new division format takes takes place, where the West kind of plays the West and the North, the North, and then we're part of the South, kind of Central East. You know, think of it this way, Alex. Uh, the two biggest juggernauts that you're dealing with in the West, maybe you don't need to deal with right now in Vegas and in Colorado because they yeah. would currently be playing out on that West. And so instead of the Vegas and Colorado, you're playing the Chicago and Detroit's right. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's an interesting one in Columbus, which I think is actually going to be pretty competitive this year. So that'll be a little bit of a tripper, but you know, I think that's, that's another thing to kind of keep an eye on where even if the blues do struggle a little bit this year, I think if these divisions kind of play out the way they're thinking, I think it could be a huge advantage because you're looking at the Tampa Bay Lightning, who is going to be a powerhouse again. They're going to be tough to get through. Even though the Blues have had success against them, they're going to be tough to get through. But then you got Florida, who, who is it's a very beatable team. 
uh, the Blues have taken care of. Carolina's given us problems here and there a little bit. Nashville, we've had great success with. Chicago, terrific success. Detroit, terrific success. And Columbus, we've had terrific success with. So I think even if the Blues do struggle here a little bit and take a little while to, to get their feet wet with this new season and with the new leadership and not seeing 27 in the locker room, I still think I still think with just terrific goaltending, which I think we will see again this year from Jordan Bennington, I think the Blues are, are, are in a good situation and, and they have good surroundings where it's going to set them up for some good success here coming up in February. Hopefully. I'm looking forward to it, Joe, man. Hopefully the AHL is a good sign setting their tentative date on February 5th. Hopefully the NHL will be around that time as well, and we get some news on some training camp. Joe, as always, buddy, it's great to chat, man. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next week. Can't wait, Alex. Looking forward to it, buddy. Have a great weekend. Have a great Halloween. Enjoy the last one, like we said, last one. Uh, without your daughter. This is going to be kind of sad. It'll be much better next year, I bet. And enjoy your Halloween as a uh, Disney employee with your very creepy mustache. I'm going to do that. I'm going to eat all my kids' Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It'll be great. Sounds like a plan. That's what I'm looking forward to the most. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. If you missed any of the show, you could check it out on our podcast, 101ESPN.com. For Joe, I'm Alex. Have a great night, everyone.